Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Well, welcome, friends, to another segment of On the Rails with me, Forrest Whitman, your host, where we cover all things rail and hope that... Uh, you're inspired to take a train trip sometime soon. Uh, we had uh, an announcement, a special announcement here at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial, uh, which announcement you also, we think, can pick up on Zoom. And we know for a fact, because we had a caller who picked it up on iTunes. And that announcement was just the breaking news announcement. Uh, at that point, the Colorado Senate had just voted to uh, set up a front range rail package and a front range rail board to accept the, we hope, billions and billions of dollars that the federal government <laughs> could be sending us to uh, get our long distance trains all spiffed up and also to do some kind of commuter rail from, from uh, down around Trinidad, Colorado, all the way up, all the way to, all the way through Union Station in Denver, and uh, through Boulder, Colorado, and up, 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 all the way to Cheyenne, Wyoming. So that was our breaking news. And uh, several people have responded to, to the email invite on that. And we, we're hoping to get the architect of that, of that vote, uh, Jim uh, Sobey. We're hoping to get him in for an interview sometime soon. So anyway, to those of you who, who did call, thank you very much. That was, that was super to hear from you. And um, you know, you can always just call the station here at KHEN, uh, leave a message for me, which was done. Uh, we wanna thank the, the office staff there for putting up with that. And um, lots and lots of fun. Uh, I, I don't remember that we've ever had a, a breaking news segment before, but um, that is pretty exciting news. All right. We have a wonderful guest with us today. Uh, Andrew Cox is our guest, and uh, he's ridden more miles than I can imagine, uh, worked on a private car, uh, ridden in private cars with his whole family, and um, we're, we're just getting into how that goes. So welcome back to the caboose, you guys. Put your feet up by the oil stove there and Relax and uh, let's chat a little bit more. So, 
Andrew, please, please jump in here. Uh, what do you think about this breaking news, which I'm sure you uh, hadn't quite yet heard, but uh, or maybe you've heard some about it. I had no idea about this, but I'm 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 left with a question: Is this going to be similar rail style as all of the extensions they've made locally in Denver? I know they redid the entire Union Station and brought that light rail system in. Is this going to be an extension of that? It will be an extension, but it will not be light rail. It will be heavy rail. It will go um, as I say, Cheyenne down to Denver, Denver down to uh, Trinidad, and then there will be an extension, but it will be separate cars, probably two, probably one. Well, they don't know, but at least two separate cars that will, will leave in Pueblo, Colorado, go east to uh, La Junta and wait there and then be hooked on, uh, hooked onto the back actually of the uh, um, Southwest Chief as it pulls through there on its run from uh, LA to Chicago. So that's pretty exciting. The, the technical side of that, I guess, is a, a little iffy in that um, when the Santa Fe ran um, heavy rail from La Junta to Denver and then on east, why uh, the other way, that is uh, out of La Junta. We, I don't know what they ran, but um, some of the grades are kind of steep. And there's apparently one canyon which is bridged with a classified bridge. And um, that means, I guess, that they think that bridge is, I don't know, I don't think they think it's gonna fall in or anything, but it certainly has a speed limit on it. But that's gonna be some, some, some work. I mean, it, it's, it's not, they're not just gonna walk in there tomorrow and do what the Santa Fe used to do. But uh, that's a long answer, but uh, a lot of this money will go, of course, for that commuter-like heavy rail. Although it's commuter-like because there's some fairly long segments, as you know, between Trinidad, which is basically the, the answer. Well, it's, it is New Mexico, basically New Mexico. Uh, I mean, it meant New Mexico line all, all the way to Cheyenne, I mean, that's, that's that's a that's a hefty little run there, and uh, it'll be heavy rail. Uh, presumably, some of these new cars that Amtrak has just bought will be used there, and um, so that was the breaking news that was announced, and we announced it here on this on this station first. You heard it here the second the vote came in. Jim Sobey, uh, who is the president of Colorado Rail Passengers Association, which we all belong to Colorado Rail Passengers Association. And he had just testified and the vote had just happened. So boy, breaking news, pretty exciting. Andrew, hop in here on that because California's done a lot too, haven't they? Absolutely. And this sounds like it might be better organized and there might be a better source of revenue coming in to keep the Colorado project going. In California, it's roadblock after roadblock and high-speed rail has been the big topic of discussion in California. And I don't, I'm don't, i not too versed on the subject, but I don't think it's going well. Um, 
I know that the state was able to use the funds they had originally secured to build a line from Modesto to Fresno. But in case you don't know California geography, that's two very small Central Valley towns that are connected. And the big point of this high-speed rail was to make travel between San Jose Bay or San Francisco Bay Area and Los Angeles faster. Um, and I think people are realizing the breadth of that project and how it was not nearly funded the way that it should have been. Um, so unfortunately, I don't know if I'm going to see high-speed rail work in California in my lifetime. Um, does anybody, on, for your Colorado project, do they guess how long the infrastructure part of it's going to take before it's completed? Well, a long time, uh, because um, the, the northern segment through Denver itself, and particularly through Colorado Springs, it will be using existing freight rail uh, right away. But can they use the actual freight rail? I mean, there's room for it, but um, the, the host railroads in their first look at it are saying, oh my gosh, we haul a lot of container cars through here. I, you know, container cars are how things are shipped these days. And then they still haul a bit of coal through there, although we can all hope coal will be going away soon, but uh, nevertheless, uh, they do. And so they their first take on it was, wow, to superimpose uh, even, even slow speed rail on that is, is uh, something. So we don't know. Um, they've had some very optimistic experts say we could do that in five years. Or we could and say, say we could do the lower segment uh, tomorrow, which in a way they, they could. That is that that's very good rail, uh, Trinidad to uh, Pueblo to the northern part of the state. Why you could do that, but then you'd be in, sitting in Colorado Springs, which doesn't really get you anywhere. Well, gets you to Colorado Springs, you see, but does not get you to Union Station where you can get your east-west trains so and but in getting through there is going to be tough uh, and they've had some other experts look at it and they've you know it's this is being looked at it's not it's not just totally pie in the sky but have said well you know you're gonna have to probably build actual rail through there we've got right away but building rail is something else so I don't, that's a long answer to a short, short question. It and, sounds uh, like they're going to be running into pretty similar issues that high-speed rail in California is running into. And that's kind of what I was alluding to when we were talking about Fresno to Modesto. That's existing, that's existing right away. Um, and it's flat. There's no grades. It's a flat straight line and that's much easier to build. But I think they originally secured close to $5 billion to get this done. And that's what they have accomplished, Modesto to Fresno. So you got to think about from, from San Jose, California to Los Angeles, California, by San Jose, you have an 1800 foot pass to get over and getting into Los Angeles, you have a 4,000 foot pass to get over and that's building brand new trackage. That's not using an existing right of way. So I just, I, I don't see this being a possibility, at least with the funding they have now. It seems like in Colorado, you have better infrastructure and a bit of a easier route to accomplish to be completed. Yeah, in a way it, it is. In another way, in another way, it's perhaps more difficult in that you're going to have all the cities and towns along there saying, 
uh, what do we get out of this? Is this, is this worth doing? And um, uh, I think Denver will be on, will be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colorado Springs, I, I don't know. They, apparently the, their initial look at this has been uh, questionable. And of course, nobody knew it was really gonna come until, well, right now it's breaking news. Yeah, the, the money is gonna come. Now we, we better get busy and, and do it, make it, make it happen. So that's, that's interesting. One expert looked at it and he said, five to seven years before you actually have the efficiency of steel wheel on steel rail, which we know is much more efficient than a rubber tire on anything. I mean, that's, a, that's efficient stuff. Plus you stick a, even an existing tier five uh, engine on the front of that, and which is very, very, very efficient. There's no smoke comes out of the top of a tier five. And um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, or it's, excuse me, tier four, sorry. The more, the brand new, they're, they're those new engines they've got out there, beautiful things and uh, very efficient. And they, you know, they don't pollute very much, but even with all that out there, uh, you're talking about a chunk of time. So, yeah, now, California seven years doesn't sound like enough. I a classic railroader saying that I'm sure you've heard before: "Hurry up and wait." We've gotten to this point, and it's probably going to be quite a few more years than what they're guessing before you start to actually see trains moving. Yeah, where's the four thousand foot pass? Uh, that's going to be the basically what travelers go over the grapevine. That's from the the southern point of the Central Valley over the San Gabriel Mountains into the Los Angeles Basin. Wow. Where does existing rail go through that part of the world? So surprisingly, the the railroad actually avoids that all completely. And that's what they're trying to figure out. That's Tehachapi Pass. Tehachapi Pass, it's a 4,000 foot pass, but it's a little bit to the east of the San Gabriel Mountains. So it's, you're kind of dodging the LA Basin and coming in and around it from the Mojave Desert. So the high-speed rail is considering trying to use the Tehachapi line, but I, I just don't think that they have the space to use existing right-of-way there. Wow. Now, is oh, that's true. There's an interstate highway that goes through there too, isn't there? Correct, Tehachapi? Highway 58. Ah, so you've got the highway and you've got the existing freight rail, which may, which probably double track through there, I would suppose. Most of it, yeah. Ah, and you've probably photographed this. I I would say I have photographed Tehachapi Pass. I probably have at least six to 8,000 images of trains. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I want to get you here to do a photo show, we could do that as a fundraiser for um, KHEN, for our radio station. What do you think? We'll get you here with your, with your photos, Absolutely. put you up in the Palace Hotel uh, or Rick White's guest room. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, have some dancing girls, dancing boys, dancing dogs. I don't know, something well, like that. In Salida, we say, Forrest or uh, Andrew, uh, we, we promise to show you a good time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But seriously, wouldn't that be fun? That 
Yeah, I, w- I would love to send you guys some photos. And if I could make it, I would, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, what is our, what is our future then? It, it's Amtrak's 50th anniversary this year. Uh, you've got a very pro-rail uh, U.S. president. You've, you've certainly got a pro-rail head of the Department of Transportation. And, and you know, he was famous for this in Indiana. Uh, where he was the uh, uh, mayor of South Bend, uh, Indiana, a, a rail hub, rail center there, uh, and so I would think that I would think that uh, you've, it's it's a it, we've been dealt a pretty good hand here this time around, and um, well, I don't know what's what's your speculation on that, Andrew. We're, we're just back here in the caboose. We can speculate. Yeah, so I'm not an expert on this, but my personal feeling, and just from reading the forums, talking to people who are in the industry, it, I'm very hopeful, for example, the rail project you're talking about in Colorado. I see a total rejuvenation of local uh, rail infrastructure getting a huge boost. So like in California, in the Bay Area, Caltrain is our local commuter train, that's transitioning to 100% electric power and electrification happening as we speak. I think we're seeing that across the US. If you notice in the Northeast, uh, the high-speed rail that Amtrak runs, the Northeast Corridor, they got all new train sets. They're getting a lot of infrastructure money. But I'm still very nervous about the longevity of long-distance travel. I'm nervous that we will lose some of the long distance routes, but the good news is, is that we'll see that rebirth of localized rail traffic uh, increasing. Uh, well, it's hard to imagine losing much more than we have. Uh, certainly in my time, you could walk down to Union Station in Denver and catch a train to Portland, catch a train to uh, San Francisco, catch a train to LA, uh, not anymore. Now you can catch one train and that's, well, as you know, that's, that's a good train. That's the Zephyr, uh, but um, not the other ones. And certainly the things they're working for, uh, like for instance, not that long ago, you could uh, catch from uh, Hutchinson, Kansas, down to Texas and Oklahoma. And um, now there again, that would seem to be something with this stimulus money coming. And this is, by the way, all stimulus money. The idea is that you're putting a lot of people to work, building all this rail. And then once it's up, putting a lot of people to work in the dining cars and, and so on. And and um, so, I mean, I would think they could bring that back without too much trouble, but um, we, we don't know. I think, I think the problem with long distance Amtrak or rail travel, it's the accessibility. And we talked about like when Rick rode coach on the short distance on the Southwest Chief, very affordable. Um, but if I want to book a roomette from San Francisco to Chicago, I'm looking at close to a thousand bucks. And at that point, I think people are going to just always revert to air travel. So I see the long distance trains, even though the stimulus money will keep it alive and keep it going. I just don't, I see it being a money suck. And if you think back to the Santa Fe, the SP, um, they, they realized that their long distance passenger trains were a money suck as well. And that's why they got rid of them and why Amtrak had to step in. So I, I see them keeping them. 
I just don't see them having this kind of rebirth and new vitalization that we're seeing at the local rail systems. Mm -hmm. uh, even though the one hand washes the other. I know. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, because what you want to do is get everybody to Denver, get them all into Union Station, and from there, from that hub, uh, head for Boise, head for uh, Northern California, head for, you know, Southern California. I mean, that's what makes, that's what, well, that's what the railroads used to do. Hence the word union, <laughs> union station. It was a union of all, all of these. And, uh, well, we'll see. I now, think, okay. okay. I, I, one last thought on that. I think the best judge of if long distance rail travel on Amtrak is going to see a resurgence and success is if we see Amtrak actually invest in new long distance equipment, because they're dropping a lot of money on these tier four motors. They're dropping a lot of money on new local commuter passenger sets. But I don't think I've seen anything in the budget for upgrading superliner cars and the long distance train sets. So I think if that happens, then there's going to be hope. And if that doesn't happen, I think the writing might be on the wall uh yeah because those those long distance train sets they've been in some of them for 40 years that's i mean amtrak keeps fixing them up but sooner or later you, you can't there comes an end to that exactly huh huh yeah although you remember we had a amtrak president named mormon do you remember him he 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 was he was the one who really felt that if we were ever going to going to reach out to the many communities who who can't ride an airplane, I think I may be in one of those. I don't know. I I go I carry an oxygen uh, kit around with me a lot of my life, and um, I, I, you know you, I don't know. I haven't been on an airplane with it, but it'd be very tough to do, or maybe even impossible. I don't know. But his this guy Mormon that was he saw that as the growth industry uh, for passenger rail for people who had um, one disability or another and weren't able to get on. You see what I'm saying to get on an airplane, and that 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 this would be the the cutting edge, so to speak. I don't know how he ever got those numbers together. Uh, Mormon was his name. He's been, might be fun to Google him someday and see what, uh, well, you've probably taken photos of track sides with a lot of people hopping on with crutches or oxygen packs on their back or things like that. And yeah, I think the most interesting travelers that I've come across on long distance Amtrak trains are the Amish. The Amish, uh, that's their only mode of transportation. And it's pretty amazing getting on and you see people who look quite a bit different than you, but still enjoying that same travel. And that's, there's another population of people that do need access to travel and Amtrak long distance is their only option. Wow. And there, and and there does do you... seem to be quite a, uh, quite a interest of, of those people uh, Amish on the on the trains and that's because they will not fly exactly uh-huh uh, so we've got two groups the will nots the can't really or couldn't unless it, they just absolutely had to fly and even then I don't know that I'm not sure the airlines are even set up to try to do special needs people. I mean, 
Where would you go? How, how, how would that happen? Well, I suppose if you bought enough seats. Yeah, I suppose. Buy then, your seat. And it's more expensive than the Amtrak train. So then that brings you back to, there is definitely a perk for certain criteria for long distance Amtrak travel. No. Huh. Well, okay. Now when you're out photographing, which you like to do, what's your favorite? Do you like, are you going to come out here and we could put you up seriously. It'd be really fun to have a, a kind of a, an event and uh, so, yeah. see some of your, your photos. I mean, you do snow photos, probably rain photos. Of course. Yeah. The, the big thing is tr trains, trains in themselves are to the normal everyday human, pretty boring. There's just these basically trucks on rails. So what I try to do is find the, the intense weather. So go in the changing of the seasons um, and just more landscape photography that has a train in it. Um, so yeah, I've definitely shot in snowstorms. I've been snowed in really big hikes to get into more remote areas. Um, it's, it's, it's a love of mine, but yeah, I've shot many trains in many different climates and locations. Well, what's your favorite? Ooh, um, I, there's a special place in my heart for Tehachapi Pass in spring. Um, uh, Tehachapi Pass is a semi-arid climate, so it's pretty crunchy and brown for most of the year. But for a few months, eh, if it's a rainy season, I'd say for a few weeks in April, uh, after the rainy season of winter, the hills are just covered in this really beautiful green flowing grass. And it looks like some, it looks like Bob Ross painted everything green. Um, so it's really cool to get, it's easy to hike around because there's not a crunchy brush that you have to get through and you have wild, wildflowers popping up. The weather's really nice. That's definitely the, the ultimate is to hatch be pass in spring. All right. Huh. Now, do you ever take a picnic and take some friends and go out and, or, or, are there, or are there not that kind of friends or <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've tried taking some of my best friends out and they enjoy it. And the, the, the response at the end of the trip is that was really fun, but I never want to do that again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's pretty weak response. Oh dear. It's a lot of driving. It's a lot of hiking and it's a lot of waiting. Um, it's, there's something about it though, for me, that when you get that perfect shot of the last light westbound train coming into the setting sun and the weather is perfect it's worth the couple hours I sat at that spot eating beef jerky um, to get that look, that specific yeah. shot. Friends who don't quite get the trains, they are ready to go home. They're like, why am I sitting in the desert waiting for a truck to go by? <laughs> uh, oh, dear. Well, they haven't caught the romance. Exactly. Have them read Frimbo. Have them uh, read uh, Silver Rails or one of the wonderful uh, railroad authors we have, which we haven't even gotten into. Who are your favorite railroad novelists to read on, on a long train trip? So I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know any railroad novelists, but probably one of the best rail photographers of our time is a the guy by the name of Richard Steinheimer. Um, and he documented the great Southern Pacific Railroad across Donner Pass in the glory years. He has a lot of coverage from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I would say, even if you remove him from railroad photography, he's probably one of the best photographers I've ever known. So I'm a huge fan of his work. And that's, I'm looking through his books when I'm on the rail side waiting for trains to go by. And that, that name is Steinhammer, you say? Steinheimer, Richard Steinheimer. 
Our, our Rick will take a note of that. We'll love to love to get that. Richard Steinheimer. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, Andrew, you've opened up some real interesting vistas of uh, aspects of the whole rail experience that I don't I don't think many of us. This show we mostly have had people who are involved in in rail, of course, but I don't think we've ever had a photographer before because that. Gee, that 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 opens up some more, yeah, for us. Uh oh, we're getting a signal. What is the signal, Rick? Oh, oh, two minutes. Okay, uh, in in your last in your two minutes, Andrew, tell us what what do you want to do next? What what should we all plan to have happen when you come out here to photograph? Um, yeah, so my my number one goal is documenting railroads across the United States. I'm, I'm also I'm a history teacher. I teach U.S. history for high school juniors, so I'm also a historian. And I realize, kind of talking about the the new uh, track improvements that are happening in Colorado. Overall, railroads are changing, and we're kind of in the last decade of the golden age of railroads. Obviously, the big golden age of railroads was in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, but I'm trying to cover the United States before we see a lot of locomotives switch to electric power. We see electrification. Um, it's still this, this raw 4,400 horsepower pull and steel up a great big grade. And I think we're, that's fading in the United States. So my next big plans, uh, my wife and I are doing a big Southwest trip actually. So I'll be close to your neighborhood. We're going to spend about a week in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I'm going to be taking pictures of the BNSF Transcon Railroad that runs from Long Beach to Chicago on that route. And runs right through Flagstaff. Right through Flagstaff. We're, we are staying at a hotel that is trackside and I cannot wait. <laughs> oh my goodness. What's the name of the hotel? Maybe we'll, we'll visit you there. <laughs> uh, it's a historic hotel. I believe it's called the, the Del Monte Hotel. It's a, it was an old uh, Harvey house in the 1930s, I believe, and it's been converted ah. into a, a historic motel right there across from the depot. We've had a couple of the Harvey House girls on this show. There's several of them still alive, and uh, but they're, you know, pretty much in their 90s now. And, uh, but gee, they tell some great stories and uh, wonderful stories. And, uh, oh my goodness, well, you have opened some new vistas for from this caboose at least, and, uh, uh, seriously, we, we all need to keep in touch and maybe just run over there and, uh, which I'm sure we could do, and to that hotel, the Del Monte Hotel, and uh, go out. We wouldn't, well, we wouldn't go out necessarily. We'd go out and take a look at the things you're going to photograph. How would that be? Yeah, can, that, would, that would be awesome. Yeah. I'm also planning yeah. on going into Colorado and shooting the, the steam narrow gauge stuff. So uh, Cumbries and Toltec and Durango and Silverton. So I'll definitely keep in touch when I'm out your way, but I would oh. love to get you guys some photographs. Yeah, and I think you'd great. like riding the Cumbries and Toltec for sure. Absolutely. Well, that is almost wrapping it up back here from the old caboose at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial where I, uh, your host him about to, to sign off and about to thank uh, Rick White, our engineer, who's kept us rolling along on the rails. So it's almost time to especially thank uh, Andrew for Andrew Cox for being with us. What a knowledgeable guest, really, really fun. And uh, so we're gonna light, uh, uh, we're gonna pop a fusee 
and we're going to toss it off the back end of the caboose and we're going to lean out the window and we're going to yell at the count of three high ball so one two three high ball high ball high ball high ball Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889.